would, opening your Bibles to John, John chapter 14. John chapter 14. <clears throat> For background here to our opening text here in John chapter 14, uh, if we were to look back in John chapter 13, um, in the beginning of the chapter, we have Jesus. He's sharing a meal with his disciples. It's something we're all familiar with. Uh, we call it our uh, our Lord's Supper. Uh, some call it the Last Supper, uh, and it's something that we all take we all take part of when we have our communion services. Um, and when the meal was ended, Christ he rose he rose from the, the table there, and he girded himself and he began to wash his disciples' feet. And once again, it's something else that we're all very familiar with. We call it our, our feet washing ceremony at our communion service. You know, if you think there, picture that upper room there. Um, I'm, a, I'm a visual kind of a person. And uh, I picture that upper room and, I, you know, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing there. If you think about Jesus, you know, he was there in that room. Uh, the door was shut and it was just him and his dearest friends, his closest friends, um, they were gathered around there, and uh, you had John leading on his bosom, and um, you know he was Christ. He was talking to them, he was fellowshipping with them, he was touching them, and um, you know these were his dearest friends. They were the ones he loved. But then in verse 21 of chapter th- uh, 13, Jesus he drops a bombshell. He drops a bombshell, and you know his heart it burned within him because he knew what was about to happen to him. He knew what was lying ahead, and it was like he just couldn't contain himself any longer. And uh, he was troubled in spirit, and it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. You know, can you just imagine the gasps in the room after this beautiful thing that was happening there? Jesus, you know, communing with them, washing their feet. And he says, One of you is going to betray me. He says, One of you, you're going to deliberately, and you're going to systematically, you're going to turn your back on me, and you're going to attack me, and you're going to try and betray me. Well, we know that was Judas Iscariot. We know who that was. And uh, in verse uh, 27 of chapter 13, it says, And after the sop, Satan entered into him. I don't know if you ever gave that a thought. Satan entered into him. You know, Satan is not like God. You know, God is omnipresent. He's omniscient. He's, um, what's the other one? Omniscient. Omnipotent. All-powerful. You know, but that's not Satan. You know, I don't know if you ever gave that a thought. You know, Satan was a created being. He's just, he's just a, uh, is an angel, a created being. You know, Satan is not in all of us at the same time. As a matter of fact, I would like to say that maybe Satan's never been in any of us. I mean, he has his demonic cord that's with him, but Satan himself is a created, a created being. He's not omnipresent. Okay? But this, you know, picture what just happened here. Satan himself, Satan himself entered into Judas. And, um, you know, um, he was the one that was violently cast out of heaven. Uh, Christ said he came to earth, in my own words, he came to earth like a streak of lightning, you know, and he was cast out of heaven. You know, the conflict that was brewing for thousands of years was about to come to a head. It was about to come to a head. You know, in the early 1900s, um, President Woodrow Wilson, he said that World War I was the war to end all wars. Um, uh, let me ask you this morning, can anybody tell me how many people were killed in World War I? Take a wild guess. Somebody, brother, sister, take a wild guess. Speak a little louder. Two million. Two million? Someone else. Seven million. Seven million? One more. 
One of your sisters, take a wild guess. Hundred thousand. Okay, these aren't anywhere near. Okay, there was approximately seventeen million dead and twenty million wounded. That was the war to end all wars. France and Russia, each of those countries, they basically lost an entire generation of men. You know, but that was nothing. That was nothing at all, you know, compared to the war that took place that day on Golgotha's Hill. You know, it was nothing. You know, all the forces, all the forces and the powers of from the pit of hell, they were about to be poured out on one man who was the Son of God. You know, in Christ, he knew all this. You know, as he sat around that table with, with his uh, loved ones there, he knew all this. You know, and his response in verse 31 of chapter 13 was, Now, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. And then he says in verse 33, it says, But I'm going to be going away. It seems kind of odd after all that he's just talking about. He says, but I'm going to be going away. And he said, you're going to seek me. He said, you're going to seek me and you're going to try to find me. But where I'm going, he said, you can't come along. And then Peter asked him, he says, well, where are you going? Where are you going, Jesus? And Christ responds himself and he says, where I'm going, he said, you can't come along. He said, later, but not now. Then it seems as though Peter, he gets himself a little frustrated. He gets himself a little frazzled. In verse 37, he says, why can't I follow you now? Why can't I follow you now? As a matter of fact, Jesus, I'll lay down my life for you. And then Christ kind of challenges there, challenges him, and he basically says, Really? You would actually lay down your life for my sake. And Christ says, You know, I'll tell you what, Peter, before the cock crows, he says, You're going to deny me three times. You know, Peter, you're living in a fantasy. It's, it's, not, it's not reality, the world you're living in there. You know, if I could summarize chapter 13, you know, we basically have Jesus telling his disciples that the world that they've been living in, the world that they've been living in for the past three and a half years, it was about to come to an end. He said, one of you is going to betray me. And he said, my time's up. I'm leaving. And where I'm going, he said, you can't come along. And he says, Peter, you're going to stab me in the back. You know, for the past three and a half years, everything that you've worked for, you know, everything that you've dreamed of, you know, your goals, your ambitions, you know, everything that you strive for, these disciples, it was all coming to an end. Then in chapter 14, verse 1, Christ says, But let not your heart be troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. Let's pray. <clears throat> dear Father, we come in your presence this morning. We want to pray, dear Father, that um, uh, as we gather here, pray, dear Father, that your word, your spirit might be poured out upon us. Pray, dear Father, that uh, uh, we could um, uh, have listening ears. We could understand your word, dear Father. Be with me. I pray that I could bring forth uh, the message here that be understandable in a way uh, that uh, we could all profit by it. And we just want to thank you for our time together here. And we, It's our greatest desire, dear Father, that you might be glorified in this day. And uh, uh, as we leave here, pray that we might be equipped uh, uh, to, to go out and face the coming week. And um, just bless each one here. Uh, we're needy people, dear Lord. And uh, we just pray, dear Father, that you be in our midst. That's what we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, well, I too want to welcome everybody out this morning. And um, uh, I was thinking to myself, uh, before I came down, whenever we have some visiting people speak at Harmony there, these people, I see their names on the... Uh, on the schedule, and uh, I never heard the name before, and I'm wondering, who are these people? And they come, and uh, uh, they give their message, and then leave again, and I, I never really knew who they were, so I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to introduce myself real quick here, because I think probably a third of you people I don't even know. So uh, I thought, um, well, you know, my name's Gary Rohrbach. Uh, if you don't know me, my name's Gary Rohrbach. Uh, uh, I'm relatively local. I've been in Berks County most of my life, almost all my life. 
Um, I was born in Reading Hospital uh, back in 1966. I'm 50 years old. Um, uh, I grew up on a farm in a little town called outside of Shoemakersville. Anybody ever hear of Shoemakersville? Okay, that's where I grew up. Uh, uh, went to Hamburg High School, graduated Hamburg High School in uh, 1984. Uh, grew up on a dairy farm. Uh, uh, farming's not in my blood. It never was. Uh, I turned 18. I wanted to get off the farm. Uh, left the farm, joined the Marine Corps. I was in the Marine Corps for four years. I lived in Hawaii. That would be the only time I was basically out of Berks County. Uh, uh, I was in Hawaii for four years, traveled back and forth to California a couple times. I got out of there in 1988. Um, I was... 22 years old, uh, still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I um, uh, started working at my aunt and uncle's butcher shop, it's Peter Brothers Meat Market outside of Lenhartsville, just east of Hamburg, I uh, started working there when I was uh, 22, worked there for a year and a half, and uh, that was uh, uh, the best decision I ever made in my life outside of Christ. Uh, I was there, um, I was there for a year and a half, and it's there where I met my, my future father-in-law, um, I worked there for a year and a half, and uh, my father-in-law was a dairy farmer, and uh, he worked there part-time for quite a few years, and it was through him I got to meet my future wife, and uh, we've been married for 25 years now. Um, when we were first married, um, uh, growing up, I never, we never went to church. Uh, we, weren't, uh, we didn't go to church really much at all, uh, holidays, um, but that was it. I had no, no experience, basically, with religion. I had no hang-ups against religion. I... Uh, uh, I was kind of neutral, um, and uh, through a, a friend of ours, we started attending, after we were, we were still dating, we started attending um, uh, conservative uh, brethren church, and uh, we, were, we started attending, and it wasn't shortly thereafter, we had uh, be, become members there. Uh, I was there where I first heard the gospel preach. I never in my life heard the gospel preached. I was converted. Um, we attended there for, I think, about nine years, and then um, eventually through our homeschool group at Harmony, which we weren't a part of at that time, uh, the home, at the church we were at, uh, we started homeschooling. I shouldn't say we. My wife started homeschooling. Uh, uh, give her all the credit. Uh, and we start. We joined Harmony's uh, homeschool group, and it was through that association there we started going to Harmony. And uh, we've been there for 16 years. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not in the ministry. I'm just a lay member there. And um, we have seven children and uh, two grandchildren. And um, yeah, that's a little bit of my testimony. Like I said, people come to Harmony and. They uh, stand up front and speak, and I have no clue who they are, and they come and go. So just that's a little bit of my background there. And I'm thankful to be here this morning. Um, and I also wanted to say I wanted to thank uh, some of you brethren, uh, sisters, uh, sent us, me and my wife, cards for our 25th wedding anniversary. I think uh, we had a car- card shower, and some of you sent us cards. And uh, uh, it was very much a blessing to us, uh, very much. We, we got received a lot of cards, and what we really liked and appreciated was uh, the messages that uh, you folks wrote in those cards, it was very humbling for us, and um, um, you know, I almost feel—I feel as though I'm a deceiver uh, in that I don't feel as though I ever attained uh, close, uh, came close to attaining the goal that I wanted to when I first got married. You know, I thought this thing was going to be easy, and uh, uh, just kind of—I uh, thought I could, um, you know. But well, you know, I feel as though in our marriage, you know, I feel like I've given my 20%, my wife's given her 80%. And, uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned in the past 25 years, the thing that I've learned is, you know, marriage, marriage is hard. You know, marriage, marriage, marriage can be hard. Uh, maybe you just haven't found that. I don't know. Uh, the brother that was speaking earlier, it sounds like you haven't found that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, uh, you know, I had to think, you know, it's nothing short of a miracle. You know, when God takes two young, selfish, self-centered people and he brings them together and he makes them one.
You know, that's that, that, that spiritual alchemy there. Uh, you know, that's a miracle. You know, he can take two souls that are complete polar opposites. And, you know, men and women, we are polar opposites. We think different. You know, we have, we're totally opposites. You know, to take them two opposites and bring them together and teach them how to be one, uh, you know, how to be united, you know, how to reconcile the differences of those polar opposites, you know. You know, it's, it's a miracle. And, uh, you know, it's a miracle when God can teach two people, you know, how to be united in peace. You know, peace, to live in harmony and peace. And uh, actually, that's what I'd like to talk about this morning. I'd like to talk about peace. Okay? Um, you're not going to be doing a, a word study on the word peace. Okay? Uh, I'm not into word studies. Uh, my topic isn't peace in marriage, even though I think it would be beneficial. It would be definitely beneficial to me. But um, it's not what we're going to be talking about either. Um, I think, um, you know, I want to look here at peace in a very broad sense. Uh, uh, it's not going to be a deep theological treatise on the seven different ways that the word uh, peace is used, uh, the way it's translated. Uh, you know, I think each one of us knows what peace is. Okay, we, we, we know what peace is. You know, we don't have to, you know, pretend. We know what peace is. You know, uh, the desire for peace, I think, is something that, you know, it transcends all people, all nations, all over the world. You know, who, who is there that doesn't want peace? You can go to the jungles of Central America, South America, Africa. You can go to the deepest, darkest place in the world and you're going to find a human being. You're going to find souls that, that, that desire peace in the inward man. They might not know how to find it, how to get it, but, they, you know, everybody desires peace. You know, um, imagine um, living in a world, you know, where where nothing but peace reigned. Nothing but peace reigned. And, uh, you know, war was no more. It'd be a beautiful thing. You know, a world where nation wouldn't rise up against nation. Think back there, World War One, 17 million dead. You know, a world where uh, nation wouldn't rise up against nation. You know, I read a study that said in the past uh, 3,000 some years of recorded world history, there's only been about 200 years of world peace. Now, how they could figure that out, I don't know. Uh, um it's, uh, you know, but the fact that people, you know, they took the time to try and figure this out. It tells me, you know, that we live in a world where folks realize that peace, you know, it's a rare commodity. You know, the fact that they want to try and figure out how many years of peace there's actually been. I had to think about our churches. You know, I wonder if we were to do a study on the past 2,000 years of church history. How many years, how many years of, uh, of peace could we find among us Christians? Uh, you know, to our shame, we could probably find fewer years than in the world out there, the world around us, you know, as far as peace. Uh, you know, what about our homes? You know, does peace rule in your homes? Or is your home a place of turmoil? Is there a, pa- a place of, uh, um, um, you know, l- lacking peace? You know, is mother and father, is mother and father honored in your home? Husbands and wives, are you united in peace? You know, have you found that place, that beautiful place of peace among yourselves? Um, you know, sometimes uh, in this world today, that can be very elusive as well. You know, think about this. You know, if we lived in a world, you know, where there was no war, you know, all nations got along. Uh, a world where our streets were free of crime. There was no crime in the streets and there was no violence. You know, a world where churches didn't split up, moms and dads didn't split up. You know, if you think about it, it would be a wonderful world to live in, wouldn't it? Sure it would. Just think, think about a world filled with peace. You know, but I'd like to present the thought this morning that, you know, all that, you know, all that out there, uh, you know, it would all be for naught. It would all be for naught if, you know, there wasn't a personal peace in the soul of man. If deep in the heart, somewhere in the heart, you know, you didn't have peace, that you could lay in your bed at night and peacefully go to sleep. 
You know, if everything out there was nothing but peace, but your heart was in turmoil, it would all be for naught. Um, if, um, you know, if everything out there, it was, it was just going picture perfect, but the heart was in total, tor- total turmoil, you know, everything out there, it would mean nothing. You know, like I said, I'd like to talk about peace this morning. You know, peace in the heart of man. You know, is it attainable? Is peace in the heart of man attainable? You know, I believe it is. And, um, you know, I'm sure right away many of you are thinking, in your minds you're thinking, well, yeah, you just, you just got to get born again. Born again. I, born again. You know, I'm looking at a bunch of born again people, and uh, there's no doubt in my mind that there's times in your life, maybe even right now, that you don't have peace in your heart, even though you're born again. You know, we can't say that, you know, getting born again, you know, just covers all that and just takes it all away. You know, it's absolutely critical. Getting born again, it's, it's you know, we can't underestimate and underemphasize the importance of that. Uh, you know, but you need to consider the fact that even after you're born again, you know, you're still dwelling in a body of flesh and you're living in a world of sin. Uh, you know, as believers, you know, we do know what the future holds for us. You know, down the road, you know, as believers, we know what the future holds. You know, we can have peace and we can have security in that. We can, you know, but the problem is, you know, we don't, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring at times, that unknown of what tomorrow is going to bring. It bring, you know, it gives us fear. It gives us anxiety. It gives us insecurity. Um, you know, that's what these disciples there in John chapter 13, that's what they were experiencing. Uh, Christ said, he said, I'm leaving. He said, I'm going away. But let not your heart be troubled. He said, let not your heart be troubled. He said, believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my father's house are many mansions. And he said, and I'm going, I'm going to go there to prepare a place for you. You know, Christ was to telling his disciples there that I'm going away, but I haven't forgotten you. He said, I haven't forgotten about you. Um, you know, as a matter of fact, he said, I'm going away and I'm going to be gone. He said, but my relationship to you, actually, it really isn't going to change a whole lot. I'm not going to be face to face with you, but, but the relationship really isn't going to change. Um, you know, while I was with you, you know, Christ, you look at his life, his relationship to the disciples, you know, um, the disciples were the center of his life. Think about it. Sure, he, he had his ministry, but it was always with the disciples. The disciples were the center of his life. You know, he, he handpicked each one of them. You know, and Christ's words to them were, you know, I love you. I love you, and I'm going to be with you till the end. He said, but I'm going away. He said, I'm going away to prepare a place for you. He said, so let not your heart be troubled. He said, even after I'm gone, let not your heart be troubled. <clears throat> and in uh, chapter 3, uh, I'm sorry, uh, verse 3 of chapter 14. I'm actually not going to read through. That's, that's why I want to get my, uh, some of my thoughts here from chapter 14. I'm not going to read through it. Just look in your Bible and follow after. In verse 3 he adds, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you because I'm coming again to receive you that we might be together. Okay, in chapter 14 of verse 3. You know, Christ was preparing his disciples for what was soon going to take place. And he knew that there was going to be fear. He knew that there was going to be anxiety. Uh, I had to think um, sometimes when uh, my daughter Casey, uh, if she drops off uh, uh, my little grandson at our house there, little Eric, uh, he's a year and a half old, uh, soon going to be two years old. Um, he does pretty good. Little guy does pretty good in her house. But sometimes he gets a little he gets a little fussy. He misses mama. He misses mama. You know. But when you tell him mama's coming. You tell him mama's coming pretty soon. You start talking about mama. You know, he settles down and he gets happy. Okay? Why? Because mama's soon going to be there. Okay, mama's soon going to be there. You know, that's kind of how Christ, you know, that's how he was calming the spirits of his disciples. He was telling them, I'll be back. You know, that should be a comfort to us today too. Christ told us, he said, he said, I'll be back. Then in verse 4, Jesus tells the disciples, you know where I'm going 
and you know how to get there. That's kind of odd. But he said, you know where I'm going and you know how to get there. And then Thomas, he says, Lord, Lord, we don't know where you're going. You know, how can we possibly know the way? We don't know where you're going. And then Jesus responds in verse 6 of chapter 14 with these famous words. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. You know, he's saying, I'm going away to prepare a place for you in the presence of the Father. And to get there, you need to come through me. It's all about me. You need to come through me. You need to believe in me. He said, you need to believe in the words that I have told you because the words are their truth. And these words, they bring life. These words are life. Then Philip, he gets bold and he tells Jesus, just show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. Show us the Father. And Christ responds with a discourse there on the relationship that he has with his Father. And then in verse 15, it almost seems as though Christ is changing the subject, but he's not. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Um, I had to think, you know, that's a big deal. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, listen to what I tell you and obey what I, uh, obey what I tell you. I had to think, you know, I could go to uh, uh, one of my children when they were small, just real little, and I, you know, I don't think I ever did this, but I could say, you know, don't go in that closet. There's a bear in that closet, okay? And you know what? Those children, they wouldn't go in that closet because Dad said there was a bear in that closet, okay? They would obey my commandment. And you know what? Me as a father, you know, that, that, that glorifies me. That, that, my children, they, they, they hear me, they obey me, and uh, that's honoring to me. But, you know, if, if they get older and uh, uh, I said, hey, don't go in that closet. There's a bear in that closet. Not that. There ain't no bear in the closet. And they open up. And, of course, there's no bear in the closet. You know, it made me look like a fool. I was look, look like a liar. And uh, they, didn't, they didn't respect and honor my word. But, you know, just, you know, Christ said, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. You know, he's saying, if you obey from the heart the truths that I've told you, if you obey everything that I've told you, if you keep my commandments, you know, it's going to be a testimony. It's going to be proof love towards me it's going to be proof that you believed in me and because of your love for me and my and uh, my love for you he said when i leave he said i'm not going to leave you alone okay he said the father is going to send his send the comforter in my name and in my place and he's going to teach you all things we know that's the holy spirit and then in verse 27 of chapter 14 verse 27 of chapter 14 christ says he says to his disciples he says peace i leave with you my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You know, that verse there is telling us that there's two different kinds of peace. It's very obvious in that. There's two different kinds of peace. You know, there's the peace that Christ gives you, and then there's the peace that the world offers you. You know, I want to open this up a little bit here. I want to ask you folks this morning, you know, the peace that the world offers, okay? Now, we're not of the world, right? Okay, so this might be challenging. But, you know, the peace that the world offers, you know, what does it look like? You know, if you were of the world this morning, what would bring you peace this morning, right now? What would bring you just, all your anxieties gone, all your fears? You know, tell me. Let's open this up. What, if you were of the world, what would bring you peace? Financial security, absolutely. What else? Come on, this is easy. What would bring you peace? Good health. health. I wrote that down. Absolutely, good health. You'd have peace. You'd have peace in that area of your life. What else? I'm sorry, say that again. Career success. success. I wrote that down as well. What else? A different president. president. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. 
You're right. <laughs> yeah. You know, we can go on and on. Uh, um, I wrote down stable government. I wrote down stable government. You know, and, and if I was of the world, if I was of the world, I thought some of the things that would bring me peace right now this morning, right now, good health, lots of money, a nice maintenance-free house, a new car that doesn't break down, insurance on everything, really good high-paying job, investments so that my secure, I'd have a secure future, and stressless relationships. All my relationships, you know, would just be kind of surface, and I wouldn't have to get in anybody's life, just, just surface. You know, I, I, that, that's probably just naming some of them, but, you know, think about it. You know, that would bring me peace. I don't know about you, maybe you have a different list, but that would bring me peace. I'm sure there's other things that, that could fall in there, but that would bring me peace. You know, okay, now, as a believer, you know, here in, uh, in, in the book of John here, he talks about two different ty- types of peace. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth peace, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. You know, us as believers in Jesus Christ, us as followers of Jesus Christ, you know, uh, what does peace look like for us? What, what brings you peace? When you go to bed at night and you lay down and you can just... No worries, no cares. What brings you peace? Assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. That's the first one. But, but, but hold on a second here. The assurance of salvation. Uh, I asked this question before and that was the first answer I got before too. You know, we have assurance of salvation. We, you know, we've already talked about that. We've already talked about assurance of salvation. So what you're saying is, you know, you have assurance of salvation, so, you have total peace. There's nothing else that can possibly bother you, cause you fear, cause you anxiety. Um, that's a good answer. Assurance of salvation. But what what else brings you peace and just tranquility when you lay down at night? Knowing that God's in control. Knowing God. What else? Clear conscience. You know what? It, it's interesting to me. I, 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 I'm standing in front of a very correct people here. <laughs> you have been taught very well. Let me ask you. When you lay down at night, if you had, if you had bad health, no money, not sure where your next meal is going to come from, you have no job, you have no secure future. Are, are you telling me that you, you, would, you would just sleep just as well? Or would you have some anxiety? Neil, I see the eyebrows raised there. How about you? Well, these things are mentioned bring peace, but that's not the only thing. Uh-huh. These other things that give the world peace also can we agree with that or no can we be honest with that you know the difference between what brings uh, peace and a freedom from anxiety you know to the world it it also brings it to us as well too you know we can't deny that you know uh, I wrote down here you know I don't want to put anybody on a guilt trip you know because I realize you know we dwell in bodies of flesh the same as the world. You know, and many of our needs are the same as the world. You know, but I think each one of us needs to honestly examine, you know, our own lives and decide, you know, what is my really, my true source of peace? You know, you're right, brother. That, that's, that's it. And if, if I don't bring this forth, I hope maybe, maybe 
what you said there, maybe we can understand that's kind of my goal. But not just getting born again, not just, I think there's more to it than that. But, um, you know, turning your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to be reading um, just four verses. Philippians chapter 4, starting verse 4. Philippians 4, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Okay, that moderation, that word moderation means gentleness. Let your gentleness be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now bear with me for a minute here. Uh, um, <clears throat> I'm going to talk about talk about myself here for a little bit. You know, when I was when I was a little guy, just a real little guy, um, probably around four, five, six. I'm not sure how it was. You know, how old I was at the time. You know, but when I grew up, I decided I wanted to be a cowboy. That's what I wanted to be. Anybody else here want ever want to be a cowboy? There we go. You want to be a cowboy? Yeah. Uh, I wanted to be a cowboy. And the reason I wanted to be a cowboy is, well, I grew up in front of the television set, and there was a show on the TV probably back in, uh, that'd be late 60s, early 70s maybe, I'm not sure, probably late 60s. There was a show on TV, it was called The Big Valley, okay, and it was a western. And uh, uh, from watching that TV show, me and my brother, I have one brother, he's a year older, and I have one sister who's 10 years younger than I am. But me and my brother, we grew up together, and uh, we both decided we're going to be cowboys. You know, we're going to be cowboys. Uh, like I said, I was probably around four, four or five years old. And me and my brother, uh, you know, we knew from watching this show, you know, to be a cowboy, you know, you got to look the part. That's really important. As a matter of fact, you know, you, you go different places today, you're going to find people that want to be cowboys, you know. But, and, uh, but me and my brother, you know, we wanted to be cowboys. We knew we had to look the part. Uh, and on this TV show, these cowboys, they wore these really slick-looking black leather vests. They're really nice and big cowboy hats and uh, big cowboy boots with the point in the front. You know, we wanted to look the part, you know, because we knew if you wanted to be a cowboy, you got to look the part. And uh, so we did is, I think I've even told this story before, we, we took the, the bed sheet off of our bed and we laid it out on the floor. We took a scissors and um, uh, we cut out what we thought would be a vest out of our bed sheet. And um, yeah, I know what you're thinking. It didn't go well with my mom, no. <laughs> but uh, we each cut out a vest and uh, for a hat, we took uh, uh, took some of my, my dad's old... Uh, farmer caps, you know, a baseball cap type hat. And uh, we cut out a piece of cardboard and cut a hole in the middle and stuck it over top of the baseball cap. And the, the brim kind of held it from falling over our heads. And that was our cap. And then we took some old boots out of the closet that belonged to my dad. And uh, we put them on and um, and we were cowboys. You know, we got the vest, we got the hat, we got the boots. And, you know, we looked apart. You know, but the problem with the, uh, the, the boots, the boots were the problem because they were way too big for us. They didn't fit. You know, the boots didn't fit and they were too big because uh, they were dad's boots. Of course they didn't fit. You know, so when we were chasing each other around playing cowboys and Indians and, uh, you know, the person wearing the boots uh, would never be able to catch the Indians because they were too big. You would just stumble, you would fall and it was just awkward and it just didn't work out real well. You know, so eventually, you know, we got weary of that and, uh, you know, because we couldn't look the part, um, uh, we just kind of decided, you know, ah, we don't want to be cowboys anymore. We wanted to be firemen. That's what we wanted to be. So I, I don't know how much stuff that we destroyed with the garden hose. I'm not sure, but it was a lot because uh, I still have memories of that. 
you know, spare with me, you know, but Paul, Paul is ending his letter here to the Philippian church, you know, with these verses that we just read here in, John, in Philippians chapter 4. Chapter 4, it's the last chapter, I believe. Yep, chapter 4, it's the last chapter of Philippians. It's how he's ending his letter there to the Philippians. You know, Paul, he was a persecuted and he was an imprisoned man. He was, he was persecuted, he was imprisoned, and he writes these final words to a persecuted people at Philippi. You know, if you read the book, the people at the Philippians, they were being persecuted. And so here you have persecuted Paul and you have persecuted Philippians. You know, they were struggling. You know, they, they had trials. They were going through. And, uh, you know, this is the conclusion, what he wrote there, the last chapter here. This is some of the conclusion, uh, you know, to everything that he said thus far in the entire first, the entire book. You know, in the first three chapters, I didn't go over it, but in the first three chapters, just to give you a little bit of a, an insight of what he was talking about, uh, like I said, I didn't read there, but he's, uh, Paul said earlier in uh, some of the earlier chapters, he said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He said, For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. And Paul also said, Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And that mind was to suffer. You know, so you see there, those you can find those verses further earlier back in the chapter. I mean, earlier back in the book of Philippians there. The book, book of Philippians, you know, it was about suffering. It was about persecution. And Paul was writing to them to encourage them. And, um, you know, those verses there, you know, these aren't peaceful words. You know, these aren't joy-filled words. You know, when he talks about suffering and uh, he talks about to live is Christ, you know, but to die is gain. You know, there's death there. There's suffering. You know, then at the conclusion of all that he uh, wrote there, in light of everything that he said in the earlier chapters, I wish I would have read that, but it would take too long, of course. In light of everything that he said in the first uh, three chapters, you know, about persecution and about sufferings, you know, he brings forth some commandments. Uh, we don't look at them as commandments, but they really are. You know, it's the word of God. This is what God is telling to us, and God is telling us, you know, we need to do this. And uh, he's telling us, uh, he's telling them, and he's telling us, you know, that you have to do these things, Christians, these are things that you have to do as a believer in Jesus Christ. You have to. You know, you can't be neglectful of these things. You know, this is what the Christian life looks like. No matter what you think the Christian life might look like, this is what it looks like. Uh, he spells it out for us uh, very plainly for us. You know, if you believe what he said up to the point, up to chapter 4 here, if you believe those verses that I read about suffering, about having that mind of Christ, of suffering, you know, if you believe that, he said... Uh, you know, you need to believe these things. And they're not suggestions, they're not advice, you know, they're commandments. And uh, when I think there about, uh, you know, rejoicing, um, you know, if, if I was to be honest, I think, Brother Brian, you, you kind of spoke of it this morning when you were opening up your heart there, you know, about suffering. And, um, you know, if I was to be honest, you know, when, when I read and I try to apply, you know, these scriptures here in uh, chapter 4, um, these uh, four verses, verses four to seven, uh, you know, I think about rejoicing in the Lord always and, uh, you know, not being uh, anxious for anything. Uh, you know, I find in my own life that um, uh, it's awkward. It's awkward. I feel like, you know, I, I feel like I'm, I'm uh, just a little guy trying to walk around in my dad's oversized boots. You know, I, I stumble and I fall and I feel as though it's, it's just some, it's something hard to do. It's cumbersome. You know, and the Christian life that Paul describes here, you know, it's so contrary to my life. I feel as though it's so contrary. Uh, you know, I try to put these things on and I try to play the game, but I often find that I just stumble and I fall. You know, rejoice always. Um, you know, and so I think often my knee-jerk reaction, it tends to be just, you know, just 
stick it in the closet. Just try to avoid it altogether. Just don't, you know, don't think about it. Maybe I'm alone with that. I don't know. Uh, maybe you don't ever feel like that. I don't know. Uh, you know, but Paul, you know, he's writing here in Philippians to a persecuted people. He's writing to a people, you know, that their world's been turned upside down. You know, they're suffering um, because of their faith in Christ. You know, he's writing to a people who probably have fear. You know, they probably have fear, you know, not knowing what tomorrow's going to bring. They probably have anxiety. You know, they probably have, at times, you know, a lack of peace in their hearts over what the future's going to hold for them. You know, and here's what Paul commands them. He commands them and he commands us to do the same. In chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Rejoice in the Lord always. You know, when I hear that, I think, okay, you know, what's going to be my argument? What's going to be my argument trying, you know, get around that, try and weasel out of that? You know, I had, uh, you know, God, he knows the iniquity of my heart, you know, so he repeats it and he says, and again, and again I say rejoice. You know, I had to think, you know, other than breathing, I don't think there's anything that I always do. You know, and uh, it's certainly not rejoicing. That I can assure you, it's certainly not rejoicing. Um, you know, if you were to answer, you know, are, are, are you always rejoicing? Always, you know, all the circumstances that come your way, are you always rejoicing? I think if you were to be honest with me, I think this morning, you know, it's awkward. It doesn't fit. You know, we don't look the part at times. We stumble, we fall. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 6, he says, Be careful for nothing. And that word careful, it means anxious. Don't be anxious for anything. Nothing. He's telling us we have nothing to be anxious for. He's saying don't be anxious over anything. You know, it's a commandment. He's commanding us there. Don't be anxious. You know, when I read that verse, you know, I don't know about you guys, but just hearing that verse, don't be anxious, it kind of makes me feel a little anxious that he's telling us that. You know, because right, you know, right away I start thinking about all the things, you know, that I feel as though uh, I have a right to worry about. You know, I, I, there's, there's many things I feel as though I have a right to worry about. You know, not just in times of suffering or times of crisis, you know, but in just everyday normal living. In fact, that's where I really, that's where I really struggle with, you know, the, just every, everyday normal living. You know, things that I feel like, you know, I have a legitimate right to be anxious about. <clears throat> you know, the sad thing is, you know, it reminds me of Luke chapter 8 where Christ he, he told the parable, about, the parable about the sower who went forth to sow seed. And he said, uh, uh, some of the seed, it fell by the wayside. And he said, some of the seed, it fell among the rocks. And then he said, some of the, some of the seed, it fell among the thorns. And he said, and the thorns grew up and it choked out that seed. Uh, you know, when Jesus, he interprets the parable, he says that the seed that fell among the thorns, he said, are people. He said, they're people, just like me, just like you, that are choked and destroyed by the cares of this life. You know, the cares of this life, the anxieties of this life. Um, you know, it makes, me ang- it makes me anxious thinking about that. You know, um, you know, I had to think, you know, just the, the cares of this life. Uh, I was thinking about, uh, you know, all my cares. You know, I was thinking about, I live in a wooden house. Okay, I got rotten wood. I got leaky roofs. I got broken fences. I got broken windows. I got check engine lights and vehicles. I got bad relationships. I got mess. I got clutters. You know, the cares of this life, you know, the cares of this life, it's the very essence of my life. And, you know, and the, to add insult to my anxiety here, you know, these are all things that I don't even care about. You know, have you ever gotten in that position? You have all these cares, all these things you got to do. You got to get this done, got to get this done. But down in your heart, you really don't care about these things, but, but you got to do them. You, you got you to get it done. You know, I, it seems like I always have this chronic low-grade anxiety. Okay? And I think if, if you would be honest, you know, I think some of you might feel the same. Uh, 
uh, I, I don't want to paint myself in a real bad picture. I think we're probably all in the same boat here. But um, I think many of you know what I'm talking about here. You know, and it brings me to the question this morning as a Christian, you know, how am I allowed to feel? How am I allowed to feel? Uh, does the Bible, does it give us any any clue about how we're allowed to feel? You know, how are you allowed to feel, you know, when the, vo- the doctors visit, it doesn't go very well? How are you allowed to feel? You know, how are you allowed to feel when your marriage isn't going quite like it ought to, quite like you thought it would? Or maybe other relationships in your life, you know, how are you allowed to feel when they're not going so well? Uh, or maybe, you know, how are you allowed to feel when it seems though everything, everything that you put your hand to, everything that you put your hand to, it just, it's failing. It just, it's falling apart. Rejoice. Be thankful. Don't be anxious. You know, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. You know, I, I don't look the part. It's like stumbling around a pair of boots that are too big for me. I don't look the part. You know, at least that's how it seems. That's how it seems. You know, when I was, you know, studying this out, looking through these, these verses and stuff like that, you know, I came to the conclusion that, you know, a lot of my feelings of inadequacy, a lot of those feelings, you know, I think are, are based on two things. Number one, you know, a misunderstanding of what God is asking of us. And number two, probably a lack of understanding of, of what God's actually offering us. You know, I think it's a misunderstanding and I think it's a lack of understanding. So we want to look a little bit closer here at these four verses here in Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. We want to see if there, is there anything here that we can glean um, that might help us, you know, that, you know, we as Christians, you know, as we walk in, in what sometimes feels like these oversized boots, you know, that, that we might, these boots might not be quite so intimidating to us, you know, that we might truly find peace. You know, in these four verses, we want to look at three commandments. In those four verses, you're going to find three commandments. You're going to find rejoice, pray, thank. Rejoice, pray, thank. You know, if you don't remember anything I say this morning, just remember that. Rejoice, pray, thank. And then intertwined in those uh, three commandments, there's going to be uh, uh, two reminders as well. There's two other reminders in, in there. The Lord is at hand and the peace of God uh, will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It will. Philippians 4.4, 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, it feels kind of odd that that's a commandment. You know, this is the words of God through Paul telling us today, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You know, to me, rejoicing, you know, rejoicing is it's just like, a, it's like a, an external reaction you know, to some kind of internal reality that's going on in my life at the moment. You know, so when he says rejoice always, you know, I had to think, you know, what about the times when I don't feel, when I don't feel joyful? You know, what do you do? The times when you don't feel joyful. You know, how does this work? You know, I had to think, it's like, it's like Paul was saying here, okay, I, I want you to laugh even though you're not happy. Okay, or I want you to cry always even when you're not sad. You know, it, it, it's like he's asking us to do something that, you know, we don't always feel. You know, but I think um, that, that it's a misunderstanding of what Christian joy is. You know, we often hear messages about Christian joy and what it is. You know, if we were to look back earlier in, in Philippians, you know, we'd find that joy is the constant theme. It really is. Philippians, they were a persecuted people. They were suffering. And yet Paul, who was in prison himself, 
writing to these people that were suffering, and yet joy was the constant, it was the constant theme. Even in the middle of that intense suffering. You know, it's a book about rejoicing. You know, Christian joy isn't some made up external, you know, um, uh, disingenuous emotion. It's not what it is. You know, I'm fine, you're fine, we're all fine. You know, blessing upon blessing. You know, it's just life is grand, life is good. While inside you're just filled with this turmoil. Uh, that's not it. It's not what it's about. Uh, one of the commentaries that I read, it said, Christian joy is not the temporal kind that comes and goes with one's circumstance. Rather, is based altogether on one's relationship with the Lord and is thus an abiding, deeply spiritual quality of life. You know, so in essence, you know, Christian joy is not a response to how we feel because that always changes. You know, how we feel always changes. Instead, it's a response to what is true about us in Christ, which always stays the same. Think about that. You know, Christian joy, it's, it's not a response to how we feel inside. Because that changes. That changes every day. How we feel changes. Uh, you know, but Christian joy, it's, instead it's a response, you know, about, you know, what's true about us, you know, in that relationship we have with Christ, which always stays the same. You know, so we can, we can always truly say rejoice always. You know, because that rejoicing is always in response to the joy that we can find in who we are in Christ, which doesn't change. And, you know, I'm not talking about eternal security there. I'm just talking about, you know, that, that if you're, you're walking in a, a, a proper relationship with the, the Lord, you know, that, that relationship is, is secure. It's steadfast. It's not going to change. And we can, no matter what the circumstances, we can take joy in that all the time. Uh, you know, the second commandment in verse 6 there is, be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, there's our thanksgiving. Uh, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, I think this verse here has two parts. It says, don't be anxious, do pray. Don't be anxious, do pray. Uh, it's kind of funny. I just uh, read uh, a little while back, I just read about a new condition, a new phobia. It's called nomophobia. Anybody ever hear of it? Nomophobia? Okay. Uh, you can look it up. It's real. It's a real. It's a real phobia. It's a smartphone separation anxiety. That's what it's called. Smartphone separation anxiety. Um, people have this fear of being separated from their smartphones because you know they're afraid that you know I guess they're going to miss something. You know maybe a, uh, a text, a tweet, or whatever. I'm not even sure what all you do with those things, but they're afraid that they're going to miss something. It says people that are really diehard nomophobias they can't even go to the bathroom without their their phone. Uh, I had to think, you know, this, this is crazy, you know. You know, as a society, you know, we have, you know, all kinds of social anxieties. We have all kinds of relational anxieties. We have work-related anxieties, you know, and now we have iPhone anxiety. And, you know, and I think, you know, we as a people, you know, we're, we're not immune to that. You know, we're not immune to all these, uh, all these anxieties. You know, I don't suffer from nomophobia, uh, you know, but I feel like, you know, I got a lot of stress. I do. I shouldn't, but I feel like I got a lot of stress. I don't handle stress real well. You know, there's often I can't sleep at, at night, and uh, my wife's always telling me it's male menopause. But I said, no. I said, I said I got stress. I got stress. And you know, I think you know we'd all agree. You know, we are an anxious people. We are. We're an anxious people. Did you know that the top-selling drug on the planet, the top-selling drug on the planet, are drugs used to treat anxiety and depression? Those are the top-selling drugs on the planet. You know, so what do we do? You know, what do we do, you know, if we're an anxious people? You know, Paul says, you know, you know, look, you know, if you're anxious, 
if you're an anxious person, you know, there is another option. There is another option. If you have fear, if you have anxiety, uh, it's not like anxiety has to be the only option that we choose for our lives. You know, um, you know, because really what anxiety is, and I found this in my own life, you know, what anxiety is, you know, if we take our needs, we take our circumstances, we take our fears, and you know, we take our fears of what the future is going to hold, you know, we, we, we take that, you know, and we, 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 we go the wrong direction with them, okay? And what I mean by that is, you know, we take them and uh, we take them down. We say, okay, you know, I'm going to fix this. I got this problem in my life. I got this anxiety. I got these fears. I'm going to fix this. And uh, I'm going to solve this problem. I think I can manage it. I can manage this issue in my life. And, you know, what happens, though, when we try to do that, we lose out. You know, we lose. You know, we lose, we lose our strength. We lose our energy. We lose our weight. We lose hair. You know, we lose out. And what we find, though, is we find anxiety. You know, as we try to solve these problems on our own, all these problems that we have, our fears, you know, it just makes the anxiety worse. It just keeps getting worse and worse. You know, Paul says, don't look down. He said, don't go down. He says, go up. He said, go up to God in prayer. He said, go to prayer. Cast your, you know, your fears, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He says, let your requests be made known unto God. You know, he wants to hear from you. He wants to hear from you. You know, and Paul says, you know, when you cast those cares upon him, you know, he wants you to do it with thanksgiving. That's what we read there in, uh, in those verses there in chapter 4. You know, and that's the third commandment. And I think it's probably the most important commandment, thanksgiving. You know, because when we go to God in prayer with thanksgiving, what it does is it gives us a perspective. It gives us a perspective. You know, we think of thanksgiving, you know, as, you know, just thanking God, you know, just thanking for what he gives to us. You know, but I, I don't think it's, it's not just going to God and thanking him in advance for what he, what we're asking for. Uh, I think, you know, what it is, is it's an acknowledgement, you know, that, that no matter what he decides, no matter what he decides, you know, we are dependent on him, okay, and we trust him. Not because of what we're asking for him to give us, okay? Because we're, we're remembering what he has already, what we've already been given. You know, we, we thank him for what we've already been given. In essence, you know, what it does, it reminds us of who we're having the conversation with. When we think back in our lives, all the things that he's done for us, we think what he's done for us on the cross, you know, we approach him, you know, within a state of thanksgiving um, because, you know, it, it just reminds us, you know, who we're having the conversation with. I heard this uh, this preacher tell a story one time, <clears throat> and uh, I thought it was really interesting. The preacher, it was, he told a story about when he was a young guy, he was still in high school, and him and his cousin, uh, it was a Saturday afternoon, they wanted to go out and get some fast food for lunch, and uh, they went out and um, got their fast food, and his cousin was driving. It was him and his cousin. His cousin was driving a car, and they were going down the street, and the cousin got distracted, and they went off the road, bam, smashed into a pole. And uh, the guy that was telling the story, he was in the passenger seat. He got thrown up against the dashboard, and he hurt his chest. He hurt his chest on the dashboard. And an uh, ambulance came, but they didn't feel like they were hurt real bad. Uh, they refused to go to the hospital. They didn't go to the hospital. The car was all smashed up. Um, but, you know, he said he was really worked up. He, 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 this, this really upset him. He had a lot, of, a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, and his chest hurt him. He just, he just hurt. And... Um, um, he uh, he went home right away that that right away and he made an appointment with the doctor for Monday to go see a doctor on Monday and uh, well anyway the next this was a Saturday and the next day was a Sunday of course and it just so happened his father was uh, the minister at the church that he attended to a, that he attended as a young man and uh, he got to church and uh, he, he wasn't feeling good you know he just just uh, he had a lot of fear just over the accident he was in the day before he had a lot of pain in his chest and uh, just had this this anxiety. And um, 
went to church, services were over, and he gets up, and out of the blue, this man comes walking over to him, smiles, and says, hi, I heard you were in an accident. And he was like, whoa, you know, it's a small town, but how how this guy know this all of a sudden? I don't even know this guy. He said, yeah, I heard you were in an accident. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I was in, I was in an accident. And he said he, he didn't really feel like talking because he, he was just, he, he was upset. He didn't feel good, you know. And uh, he said, pretty soon this guy reaches out and touches him. And he starts, well, does it hurt here? And does it, you know, does it hurt over here? And he was like, whoa, this is really getting weird now. And he, he thought, you know, I, I can't handle this. I, I'm not into this. I just, I, I don't feel good. I got this fear. I got this anxiety. I got this pain in my chest. And I can't handle this. And he said, so he politely dismissed himself and he walked away. And uh, the next day, Monday, comes along and um, he goes for his doctor's appointment and um, he sits down and uh, there, well, the nurse takes him back, sits him in a room, takes his vitals, asks him some questions, what, you know, what are you here for and this and that. And she writes all the information down and um, <clears throat> he's uh, sitting there and he said, the doctor will be in shortly. And uh, sure enough, the door opens up and the doctor walks in and it's the same man. And he has a smile on his face and he walks up to him and says, you know, so I heard you were in an accident. Same thing he said the day before. I heard you were in an accident. And he said, yeah. And the doctor begins to ask him, well, where does it hurt? And he begins to touch him and, and feel him. And, and does it hurt over here? And he said, what this fellow said was, he said, he said, well, right away, I opened up to him. He said, I told him all my fears. I told him all my anxieties. I told him, you know, doctor, I, I hurt down here too. What about over here? And he said, you know, doctor, do you think I'm going to be all right? You know, and, and he just totally opened up to him. And, you know, um, I want to ask you this morning here, what was the difference? What was the difference? You know, the difference was, you know, on Monday, he knew who he was talking to. You know, Sunday, he didn't know who he was talking to, but Monday, he knew who he was talking to. And because he knew who he was talking to, he opened up. He just he just poured everything out in front of this doctor because he knew who he was talking to. You know, I think maybe that's some of the reasons why, you know, we're not letting go of our fears. We're not letting go of our fears. We're not letting go of our anxieties and giving them to God with, in prayer with thanksgiving because I think so often we forget about who we're having the conversation with. You know, we forget about who we're having the conversation with. with. You know, we're not just, you know, crying out to some unknown. You know, we're not just uh, talking to some celestial maybe. You know, we're talking to the maker of heaven and earth. You know, the God of the universe. And, uh, you know, the one who gives us every breath that we breathe, that's who we're talking to. You know, gratitude, thanksgiving, thankfulness, you know, it disciplines our hearts, you know, that we can remember who we're having the conversation with. <clears throat> you know, we need to pray. We need to pray, you know, God, this is what I've done. This is, this is what you've done. God, this is what you've done for me. God, this is what you've given to me. God, this is who you are. Okay, God, now I'm going to ask you for these things. Okay, now I'm going to confess these things. God, now I'm, ju- I'm just going to vent these things. I'm going to vent these things before you. You know, th- that's, that's how we should come to God, you know, with thanksgiving. You know, but I had to think, you know, what about all those times? And it seems like there's many. You know, what about all those times, you know, when it just hasn't worked? You know, what about those times when it just hasn't worked? Maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, yeah, you know, I've made all my requests known to God. You know, I've prayed to him. You know, I've prayed and I prayed and uh, uh, it seems as though I just get no response. I have all these fears, I got these anxieties and I hear nothing back. You know, um, you know, when that happens and it happens often, you know, <clears throat> you know, all I can say is, you know, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that that seems to happen. It happens like that, you know. Uh, I think everyone in this room, we, you know, we can relate to that, where it seems as though we pray and we pray and we pray, we got these fears, we got these anxieties, and it seems as though God is silent. 
Um, and um, uh, I'd like, uh, you know, if each one, you know, if we could uh, just, you know, consider for a moment here that, you know, maybe God knows what you don't know. You know, maybe God knows what you don't know. Maybe God sees what you don't see. And maybe that's what's affecting his answer. You know, you ever think about that? You know, <clears throat> you know, I guarantee that every one of us here, every one of us, you know, uh, uh, you know, we would answer our prayers the exact same way God does if we know, if we know what God knows. You know, we would. We would answer our own prayers the exact same way that God does if we know what God knows, guaranteed. You know, imagine for a minute here that, you know, just, just think if you were one of the 11 disciples. Okay, Judas portrayed Jesus. He was gone. They're down to 11 disciples. <clears throat> you know, just imagine if you were there that day when the soldiers came in the garden, you know, and, and they took Jesus away. Okay? And you were there when they had that mock trial. When they had that mock trial for Jesus, you know, that injustice, you know, you were there. You've seen it all. And you watched him as they beat him. You watched as they beat your Lord and your Savior. You were one of the disciples. You watched as they beat him. You watched as they put the crown of thorns on his head. You seen the blood running down his face. You know, and you watched in horror as they laid him on a cross and they pounded nails through his hands. They pounded nails through his feet. You know, and you seen it there when he lifted up that cross. They lifted the cross and you seen him there in agony. And you stood there and you just stood there watching him die. And you're one of the eleven. You're one of the disciples. And you're witnessing all the pain. And you're witnessing all the suffering. And at that moment, you know what? You're probably not rejoicing. You're not rejoicing. And you're probably filled with all kinds of anxiety. And you have no peace. You have no peace at all. And you realize that your only hope at this moment, at this time, your only hope is to turn to God in prayer. That's your only hope. What would your prayer be? What would your prayer be? You know, what are you going to say? What are you going to ask for at that moment? You know, wouldn't it be God? You got to stop this. God, God, you got to stop this. This can't be happening. God, don't just sit there. God, do something. You know, you cry out with with everything that's in you. God, you got to stop this. You know, you know, God, what about me? What about me? For three and a half years, I've been following this man. You know, I've given up my future. I've given up my family. I've given up my job. I've given up my reputation. I've given up everything for for this man here. And here he's going to die. God, you got to stop this. You got to stop this right now. Stop it. Okay, but God doesn't answer your prayer and Christ dies. Why? You know, because God, he knew then what we only know now. That's why he wouldn't answer that prayer. Because, because... Uh, we only know now what he knew then. You know, and based on what we know now, we wouldn't want to have it any other way, would we? What we know now, based on our information we have now, of course not. You know, if it was possible to have an, you know, an audible conversation with God at that time, you know, you know, God knowing what he knows, you know, I think the conversation might have been something like this. God, God, you got to save him. You got to save him. God would respond, no, I'm saving you. God, this is a nightmare. This can't be happening. No, this is the greatest event of all history. God, you promised to be faithful. Yes, and this is the degree to which I am going to prove myself to be faithful. God, we're going to lose. No, just wait a few days. We've already won. You know, if all that was true with the greatest event in history, if all that was true with the greatest event in history there, you know, that we hadn't gotten what we asked for 
you know, but later agreed with God that it was the right decision. You know, could it be possible that maybe, you know, what you're going through right now, maybe what you're going through in your life right now, uh, in your situation where it seems, you know, God's just being silent, you know, you know, and, and, and your anxiety, your worry, you know, you have no peace. You know, could it be that God is working something in your life right now? And you can trust, you know, you can, you can take comfort in that. You know, rejoice. Don't be anxious. Pray with thanksgiving. And then finally in verse 7 it says, let me read verse 7 again. It says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. <clears throat> you, know, he's, he, you know, he's not saying that upon your conversion there, you know, this overwhelming, euphoric, you know, sense of uh, peace is just going to invade your soul and it's going to fill your heart with this peace and it's never going to leave you and it's going to be the new you and this is how it's always going to be. You know, it's not what he's saying. It's not what he's saying. Uh, I think if, you know, if that's what he was saying, I think many of us would feel as though, you know, we haven't attained that. You know, because we do have, many times it feels as though, you know, we don't have the peace of God. Um, You know, but that's not what's being offered here. That's not what's being promised to us. That's not the reminder here, okay? Uh, The Christian author, uh, Tim Keller, he wrote, Christian peace is not dispelling all negative thoughts. When you do that, you're just being dishonest with how bad things really are. You know, so what is Paul saying here? You know, well, he's not saying that, you know, your own internal sense of peace is what's going to guard your heart. It's, it's not your own internal sense of peace that's going to guard your heart. He's not, you know, saying your own, you know, self-contrived, you know, your own sense of well-being that's going to guard your heart. He's saying the peace of God, the peace of God, God's peace. God has peace. You know, God is peace. The peace of God that he possesses, that's what's going to guard your heart. It's going to be God's peace. Yeah, uh, you know, it doesn't mean that you know you're not going to worry. It doesn't mean that you're not going to uh, wonder about the future. You know, that you're not going to have anxiety. But what it does mean is that you know, because He's at peace, because God's at peace, you know, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay because God is at peace on your behalf. Um, uh, I had to think of an example in our own home when our children were smaller. It seems like they were always coming in the house bleeding. They'd always come into the house bleeding. They always get busted up, and and uh, sometimes it was pretty bad. Uh, and uh, something um, I've learned, you know, many many years ago. Uh, <clears throat> brother spoke about your wife. <laughs> I'm not sure where, you know, uh, a lesson for you. You've been married six years. I've been married 25. Okay, and uh, something I've learned a long time ago is that you need to be calm. Okay? You need to be calm. When the children come in screaming and the blood's flying, you need to be calm. Because at that moment, my wife, she's totally freaking out. Totally. And, you know, inside, I'm freaking out. Inside, I'm freaking out. But I learned, you know, that I, uh, I need to convince my wife that I have peace. You know, the child's hurt here, but I, need, I have peace. I have peace. And when I have peace, she'll have peace. Okay? If I have peace, she has peace. I remember that time when Seth cut his knee on the trampoline. Uh, I still remember my wife in the kitchen. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I, I, I don't embarrass her. But yeah, when I have peace, she has peace. You know, and God is the God of peace. You know, and when he's at peace, you know, we can take comfort that we can have peace. You know, God's not freaking out. He's not. He's not anxious. God's not surprised. He's not scared. Um, you know, he's not caught off guard. Uh, he's never worried. You know, brothers and sisters, it's going to be okay. 
It's going to be okay. And it's going to be okay based on the fact that he has promised, you know, his peace, which passeth all understandings, it will guard your heart. Okay? It's going to be okay. You know, when there's more money going out than what's coming in, you know, God's not anxious. He's at peace. You know, when the child's sick and you don't know what to do, you know, God's not scared. He's not scared. You know, when your marriage is going in every direction but the right one, you know, he sees your tears. You know, but God's not worried. God's not worried. You know, he has a peace, and he has a peace that he wants to give you. And it's a peace, it passes all understanding. Uh, and I had to think, you know, brothers and sisters, it gets even better than that. It gets better than that. Not only does the peace of God, it guards your hearts, it guards your hearts through Christ Jesus. What does that mean? <clears throat> there was a man by the name of Horatio Spafford. He wrote a very well-known hymn. What was the name of the hymn? Someone tell me. In peace like a river. Right, very famous hymn. It's one we're all familiar with. Um, when peace like a river, he says, you know, it is well with my soul. <clears throat> you know, this, uh, who all knows the story behind that song? Probably most of you do. I think most of you do. I, w- I want to tell that story though again, though. Uh, you know, Horatio and his wife Anna, they lived in Chicago, and uh, they lost most of their business in the Great Chicago Fire. And something else they lost, actually, before that, um, they lost a, a four-year-old son to um, scarlet fever. They lost a four-year-old son to scarlet fever before that. But in the, the Great Chicago Fire, they lost most of their business. And um, they tried picking up the pieces after the fire, and um, uh, but they, they just couldn't um, get back on the feet on their feet uh, the way they wanted to. And um, um, uh, they had, he still had some businesses going, but uh, eventually they decided that they're going to they're going to move to Europe for a while. They want to move to Europe for a while. Uh, there's some friends over there. And he wanted, they wanted to move over there and just, just try and get their lives back together. And uh, Horatio, he stayed back in Chicago and he sent his wife and four daughters ahead uh, by ship. And um, he was going to catch up to them later. Like I said, I'm sure you all know the story. Uh, well, that ship, it collides with another ship and the ship sinks. It, sh- it sinks very quickly, killing 226 souls. Among the dead was Spaff- uh, Spafford's uh, four daughters. Uh, it was 11-year-old Annie, 9-year-old Maggie, 5-year-old Bessie, and two-year-old Tanetta. And Horatio's wife was one of the few dozen. There was a few dozen that were saved, and she was one of them that was saved. And she telegraphs back to him, saved alone. So Horatio, in his, in his uh, fear and in his, uh, the turmoil in his life at that moment, uh, he gets on a ship and he heads over to Europe to be with his wife. And it was there uh, on that trip in those very waters that took his daughter's uh, those four little girls, it's where he picks up his pen and he begins to write. He writes, When peace like a river, he writes, When sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well. How? How? You know, how could he say it is well? You know, I have children. You know, how could he say it is well? You know, Paul says the peace of God guards your heart through Christ Jesus. You know, that's what Horatio knew on that day. He goes on to say, he said, My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. He said, My sin, not in part, but the whole. He said, It's nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You know, he doesn't write, It is well, because I can have more children. That's not what he wrote. He doesn't write, It is well, because my wife was saved. You know, he doesn't write it as well because I'm going to make sure that anybody I ever love never gets on a ship again. 
And this is what he says. He doesn't write it as well because I'm going to make sure that I never feel this pain again and I never have this problem again. That's not what he said. It's not what he wrote. He said, it is well because my, he says, my greatest problem, sin, it's been solved. It's been solved in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he says that through all the uncertainties of life, you know, all the uncertainties of life, you know, my standing with God, my future glory with Christ, it's guaranteed. Okay? It doesn't mean all the fears are just going to go away. It's not what he's saying. It doesn't mean I'm never going to have to suffer. You know, Horatio knew that day that his four daughters, those four daughters, they, they were already safe in the arms of Jesus. That's where they were at. So he can cry out, O Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. He said, The trump shall resound, the Lord shall descend. Even so, it is well with my soul. You know, I realize, you know, right now it might not fit. It might not fit right now with, you know, where you're at in your life right now. It might not make sense. You know, but until, you know, until that day when it does, you know, rejoice, pray, be thankful. You know, it says in the peace of God, it will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. You know, I wanted to read a testimony here. Uh, In closing, I want to read a testimony. It's actually a testimony of my Uncle George. Okay, it's a testimony of my Uncle George. Uncle George, uh, he worked at Kraft Foods out at Allentown. Um, He worked there most of his work, I think most of all of his working life, that's where he worked. He worked there many years. Uh, He was a maintenance, he was a mechanic. He set up, uh, when Kraft Foods would set up new lines uh, for processing foods, he'd be the man that would uh, oversee the setting up of the lines. He was a mechanic. Uh, Uncle George was a very quiet man. Uh, I never knew him real well because he was a quiet man. He was friendly, but he was quiet. Uh, he wasn't a Christian. Uh, he wasn't, from what I know, he wasn't against God. He just, uh, he was a very methodical, uh, very uh, smart, educated man. I don't think he ever really, really had much of a need for God. Um, but um, he wasn't against religion at all. His wife, my Aunt Lucy, it's my dad's sister, she went to church every Sunday. She's a Christian. They had uh they have two children, uh, uh, a girl and a boy. They're my cousins, of course. Uh, Uncle George, he was secure. He had peace. You know, talking about in the beginning there, what brings the world peace? You know, security, money, health. You know, he had all that. Um, uh, he was secure. Um, uh, he had a very good relationship with his wife. That was something that always impressed me about my Uncle George and my Aunt Lucy. They were very close. Um, and um, Uncle George, he wasn't an angry man. They were very close. Um, one day at work, he was working on a piece of machinery, and out of the blue, the wrench just fell out of his hand. I thought, that's odd. It just His hand just opened up, and the wrench just fell out. And then in days, he started having some other symptoms, and pretty soon he went to the doctor, and it turns out he had an inoperable brain tumor. Uncle George was going to die. <clears throat> and uh, what I want to read here is uh, the minister that officiated over the, his, uh, uh, his funeral service uh, wrote this, his testimony down, uh, to, when he, when his minister went to visit George. Now, he really didn't know George, because George didn't go to church. But, um, he knew his wife, Lucy, and I think George, you know, holidays, George would have went to church, but anyway, the minister went to George's house and sat and talked to him, talked to him about the condition of his soul. And, um, uh, he wrote the testimony down, the minister did. Okay, and this is how it goes. Visit with George Kramer, February 3rd, 2003. The spiritual component of the conversation began with Lucy telling me in George's presence that, quote, George has accepted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. That opened up a very fascinating conversation. 
Months ago, when I first talked with George in the hospital about his cancer, he wanted to place his body in the care of the doctors, and I think he assumed that he would approach his bo- I think he assumed that they would approach his body as he would address a problem at Kraft Foods. He was in the, the business of fixing machinery, and he figured that they were in the business of fixing bodies. That was my impression, however. On the, that was my impression. However, on this day, by this time, George's confidence in doctors had severely eroded. He gave me several strong negative opinions on that subject, and then said that doctors are body mechanics, but they are not the healer. He said, God is the healer. And I asked him how he came to that conclusion. He said, quote, it's grown on me. George went on to tell me that he's been thinking about these things a whole lot, and he's come to the realization that God is the healer. I, wonder, I wondered whether he was angry with God, but George disagreed. George said, it's not his fault. It's just the way it goes. He indicated that some people had said that the... Okay, back around 2003, I guess is when the, the last space shuttle accident was. Okay, he indicated that some people had said that the space shuttle went down because God was upset with us. George said, the space shuttle didn't go down because God was upset with us. God doesn't do that. Only man can feel like that. I know he wouldn't do that. Sometimes bad things happen. God is the healer and he is loving. Okay, remember now, Uncle George didn't go to church. Okay, he didn't church, you know, he, he, he learned this, uh, and he wasn't taught this. Okay? As the conversation proceeded, I was in awe of George. I got an increasing feeling that I was speaking to a man who had truly spoken with God and had really, and had a real understanding of the heart of God. George was speaking with a calm wisdom and insight into God. I asked him how he came to some of these conclusions that he was sharing. He said, actually the last couple of months, it's gotten stronger. I took this, it took this, meaning the disease, to get me to this point, and I'm sorry about that. He really wished that he had come to a deeper understanding of God prior to and without the illness earlier in his life. Reflecting on his apparent shortening of his life, he said, sadly, it looks like this, the disease, is going to shorten my time with the best woman in the world. I wanted to grow old with her. Then continuing with his reflection about his growing relationship with and knowledge of God, George said, I sit here and I pray to him all the time. I then said, I then said, I really sense that God has been speaking to you. He agreed. And then again reflected lovingly about his family. He said, Lucy and the kids are the big part of it, meaning the joy of his life. I'm still planning to go on living. I'm not giving up. Throughout this conversation, again and again, I felt like I was speaking to a man who had truly been with God, and I shared those feelings with George. I reminded him in the biblical story of the transfiguration when Jesus went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there Jesus appeared with a glowing white face along with Moses and Elijah, and then God spoke and declared that Jesus was his son. It was a mountaintop spiritual experience in the Bible in which there was an encounter with the living God. I said, George, it almost seems like you've had that kind of experience, and he agreed completely. I said, you're speaking as if you have wisdom. He just shrugged his shoulders. He was just telling me about his spiritual experiences and reporting what he was learning from his Heavenly Father. At one point, he talked about dying and his eternal destiny. He said in what I thought was vintage George fashion, as a man used to tending the equipment and meeting the exacting um, standards of others. He said, quote, I hope I've gone far enough spiritually to meet the criteria of God's requirements for entrance into heaven. And then I proceeded to share about how our salvation is not dependent on our progress. I told him how God's standard is perfection. Just as we wouldn't think of allowing a skunk into our house with even the smallest amount of skunk smell on it, I told him that our holy, perfect God wouldn't allow us into his kingdom without, with the smell of sin in our lives. We need to have our sin removed, which is why Jesus died. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And that forgiveness is received by us when we trust in Jesus, ask for forgiveness, and receive him into our lives. 
Have you trusted in Jesus, George? I asked him. Oh, yes, he said. I feel like a new person in the last few months. And I said, that's exactly right, George. You are a new person. The Bible says that you've been born again. That's a term that many people misunderstand, but it describes exactly what has happened to you. You've been born again. You are truly a new person. We then went on to talk about what was going to happen next, if he should die. Throughout the conversation, we clung to our prayerful hope that God would heal him in, his, in this life, but certain that if not in this life, God would heal him in life to come. I talked about the thief on the cross who, as he was dying, was promised by Jesus that he would be that, that very day in the paradise with Jesus. I told George at his death, he too would be, get, be with, G, with Jesus. He talked about the sad separation from family in those intervening years, and I assured jo, George that the whole notion of time is different from God's perspective. And the scripture indicates that to God, a day is as a thousand years. I talked about how there would be no more tears in heaven. That sad separation for him wouldn't be sad because he would be with Jesus. I also promised that although his death would be deeply hurt, that although his death would deeply hurt and sadden his family, that they would be okay, particularly comforted by the fact that he was with Jesus. I also mentioned how the scriptures in 1 Corinthians says that now we see dimly like looking through a frosty window, but then... When we're with Jesus, we will see and understand all things clearly. Finally, George knew that I was asking all these, that I was taking all these notes, and I told him why. I told him I would be assuring, I would be sharing them with anyone who would attend his funeral if it came to that. I asked, I asked his permission. He was in absolute agreement. He wanted this conversation reported to all of you. That's why I share them now. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 4.16 these words, For this reason we never become discouraged, even though our physical being is gradually decaying, yet our spiritual being is renewed day by day. That is exactly what happened to George. There was an inverse relationship operating between his physical body and his spiritual self. As he physically declined, he got spiritually stronger and stronger. I shared that observation with him, and he completely agreed. George experienced great strength in his final months of life, like a relay runner in a track passing a baton. George passed that message of strength to me and me to you. He wanted to share the source of that strength, Jesus Christ, with you who grieve so that you could have that same strength to go on. For George, I say, trust and find your strength in God. I love you. I thought that was a beautiful testimony. You know, <clears throat> you know, in this life, you know, we have, you know, we have peace. I mean, we have fears. We have anxieties. And, uh, you know, George thought that everything that he had in his life, you know, it, it did bring him peace. You know, but he got to the point where, you know, death took all that away. You know, before death, you know, he found Christ. He found that relationship. And, uh, you know, it's my desire this morning that each one of us, you know, that we could have that, that peace, that peace that passeth all understandings. Because it's that peace that it will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. You know, the scriptures say, let not your heart be troubled. You know, if you're seeking peace this morning, rejoice, pray, and be thankful. <clears throat> Let's pray. <clears throat> Our Father, we come before you this morning and, you know, realizing, dear Father, that, that we do have anxieties, we do have fears in our life. Uh, it seems as though um, there's so much out there, there's so much outside these doors, dear Father, that, uh, that strive to take our peace away. Dear Father, we realize that... Uh, uh, Satan and his horde, they are, um, they're, they're active, uh, they're trying to steal peace from us, dear Father, and plus just the, uh, the temporal things of this world, and, um, to our shame, dear Father, we admit, dear Lord, that we don't always come to you, we don't always seek you in prayer, and it's our desire that we, uh, dear Father, would, uh, would be a prayerful, thankful people, dear Lord, and, uh, 
just want to ask dear Father that you would uh, just be with us as we leave here this day and uh, just pray dear Father that these words could be a blessing to each one and we want to praise you dear Father and glorify you in Christ's name <clears throat> Amen May God bless each one